Welcome to the audio podcast of North River Church. You can find out more about North River and ways you can be involved at our website, gonorthriver.org. Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to see you, whether here in person or online this morning. I want to encourage you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 22 is where we'll spend our time picking up from last week in our series as we've been walking our way through the book of Acts. The title of the message this morning is Joy and Conflict, two words that typically don't go together, joy and and conflict. And as you're making your way to Acts chapter 15, I want to encourage you to help your kids find that in their copy of God's Word this morning as well. And as you're doing that, I don't know if you've ever had a conflict turn into something that was explosive, into a feud. You've probably had that experience, as I have before. But here are a few ways to make that happen. So as we consider conflict this morning, this is what you don't want to do. Number one, be sure to develop and maintain a healthy fear of conflict. Letting your own feelings build up so that you are in an explosive frame of mind. Ever found yourself there? Number two, if you must state your concerns, be as vague and general as possible. Then the other person cannot do anything practical to change the situation. Number three, assume you know all the facts and that you are totally right. The use of a clinching Bible verse is always helpful right here. Speak prophetically for truth and justice. Just do most of the talking. Number four, with a touch of defiance, announce that you're willing to talk to anybody who wishes to discuss the problem with you, except don't ever take steps to initiate the conversation. Number five, latch tenaciously onto whatever evidence you can find that shows the other person is just jealous. Number six, judge the motivation of the other party on any previous experience where they failed to show kindness. Keep track of all the angry words. Number seven, if the discussion should become serious, view it as a win-lose struggle, and you will not lose. Number eight, pass the buck. If you ever get cornered in an argument, it's always somebody else's fault. Those are ways you take a conflict and escalate it to the point that it becomes explosive. What we're going to see in the text this morning is a couple of things play out, and it's surrounding this issue of conflict. It's really a fascinating that takes place in the text. Because what we're going to see is some encouraging things happen, and then at the end, this turn where conflict arises within the church. And the question is, how do we deal with that conflict? How do we move forward? Is it possible to move forward? And what we're going to see this morning in the text, and as I read it, I want you to take note of the fact that they are able to move forward. That the mission of God is still able to be accomplished even in spite of the conflict that arises. So I want to read for us the text this morning beginning in 
Acts chapter 15, verse 22. This is what Luke records. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write down this main idea that's going to frame our time together in Acts chapter 15, 22 through 41. And it's this truth, gospel clarity among believers doesn't mean we will not experience conflict, but it does provide a clear direction for moving forward. Gospel clarity doesn't mean we will not experience conflict, but it does mean that we can move forward with a clear direction. I want you to take notice first in verses 22 through 29 that church leaders were dispatched from Jerusalem to clarify the truth of the gospel. Kids, if you're taking notes this morning, you can draw a picture once again of glasses 
Glasses help us see clearly, and this is what's going on in the first part of Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. Let's back up for just a little bit to remember where we are in the text. Remember last week as we entered into chapter 15 that the gospel of Jesus Christ had spread throughout the Gentile world, that they were hearing the truth of who Jesus was, they were responding by faith, and they were being saved from their sins, brought in relationship with their heavenly father. But there were some Jews who were believers that came down and said, it's not enough just to be saved from your sins, just to trust Jesus as your savior. You must add something to your salvation. And that created a pretty big uproar within the church. Paul and Barnabas in fact disputed with them. And then they left and journeyed to Jerusalem to the mother church to have this conversation to clarify what's going on here. And is it not true that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything? That should be the message of the gospel. And they decide as the church there gathered, the elders who are there, that that is the truth of the gospel. That we are saved from our sins, not by anything that we can do to add to our salvation, but solely by what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And as a result of that conversation, that discussion, that agreement among the church, they sent leaders out, not just Paul and Barnabas back, but also other leaders with them to declare that truth to the Gentile believers. And so that's what they do. They write a letter and they journey with this letter to this group of Gentile believers and they share the truth with them. They remind them that the truth of the gospel is that we're saved not by any work that we can do, not by following the law, not by earning favor with God, but simply by trusting in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. That's what it takes to be saved. And that is the message that they declare to these Gentile believers. In fact, the word that they use there is they don't want to add any type of burden on to them. They don't want to burden them with keeping the law as if the law being kept perfectly can earn them favor with God because they can't keep the law perfectly. Jesus Christ is the only one who could keep perfectly the law of God. And so they journey, they are dispatched out from the church, they share this message with them. I want you to notice in verses 30 through verse 35 that the Gentile believers rejoiced when the truth of the gospel was delivered. So these men journey out from the church, they remind these Gentile believers that salvation is by Grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's nothing else that needs to be added to salvation. And The church, as a result, rejoices. They rejoice in hearing this message. Just think about that for a minute. They've trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've done exactly what the Scriptures had called them to do in trusting what Christ accomplished for them. Paul and Barnabas had preached the message of the gospel, and they had responded. And then these false teachers had come in and tried to lay additional burdens on them. And you have to know that that discouraged them, that that gave them a sense of doubt. Maybe we aren't saved. Maybe we haven't done enough to earn God's favor. Maybe we need to add more to our salvation. And yet they hear this message. And as a result, they rejoice in hearing that Jesus Christ is enough. 
In fact, as we see, not only do they rejoice in that, but these men who were sent from the church in Jerusalem stay around for a little while and begin to disciple them and to encourage them even more, to build them up in their faith. And Paul and Barnabas hang around as well and spend time with them and encourage them and build them up in their faith. And at this point, you look and you're like, gosh, this is amazing. This is wonderful. This is what you would want to have happen for the truth of the gospel to be proclaimed, for people to receive joy as a result of that. And then you enter into verse 36. And I want you to notice that even though the truth of the gospel brought great joy to the Gentiles, Paul and Barnabas divided over a personal disagreement. You look in verse 36, it says, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. So Paul looks and he says, We need to take this encouragement, we need to bring this type of joy to all of the other cities, the Gentile areas where we preach the gospel. They need to hear this. They need to be able to rejoice in this truth. So Barnabas, it's time for us to leave and to go and share this all around the Gentile areas. However, Barnabas wanted to take with them John Mark. And Paul said, not on my life. In fact, John Mark had deserted Paul previously in his ministry, deserted Barnabas previously in his ministry. He had voiced, hey, I'll go with you. I'll be a part of this. I'll carry the message of the gospel to the Gentiles with you. And he didn't follow through. I don't know if you've never followed through with something, but maybe you know what that's like. Or maybe someone's promised that they will do something for you and they didn't follow through. And you made that mental check in your mind and said, never Again, am I going to trust them to do what they say they're going to do? So Barnabas says, the great encourager, let's bring John Mark with us. And Paul says, I'm not going to do it. Because he deserted us once, I'm not going to let him have the opportunity to do that again. And so Paul and Barnabas, this great missionary duo who made such an incredible impact for the kingdom, disagree over this issue. And as a result, they separate. Barnabas takes John Mark and he journeys off to Cyprus to share this joy, this hope in the gospel. And Paul grabs Silas and he departs and goes to Syria and Cilicia and carries the message of the gospel, this hope that's been decided from the church in Jerusalem. I want you to notice, though, that What doesn't happen here? Paul and Barnabas don't disagree and then say, I'm done. They disagree, and yet they continue to fulfill the mission that God has called them to fulfill. I want us to take a few moments to worship together, to ponder through this text as we sing this morning, and then we're going to come back together and gather once again around the scriptures and ask some specific questions of application. How do we take what we've covered here and apply it in our own lives? I want to pray for us. Father, thank you for your word once again and a reminder for us 
of the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the great hope that the gospel brings. And even in the midst of the conflict we see between Paul and Barnabas, they remain committed to fulfill the mission that you gave them to fulfill. And so as we sing, Father, I ask this morning, if there's one here that's not taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior, would you allow the gospel message this morning to pierce their hearts? Help them see who Jesus is. Help them to respond by faith to receive the same type of joy that we see these Gentile believers received. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and you sing with us? As we gather back around Acts chapter 15, I want to take just a few minutes and seek to apply this text to our lives. As we consider what's going on there, as we consider the leaders in the church in Jerusalem going down and sharing the truth of the gospel and encouraging these believers that what they've trusted in is actually true. Here's a question for us just to consider at this point. Why is it necessary for church leaders to take the initiative and address theological error? You know, it's interesting that in the text, that's exactly what happens here. There is a theological error that has arisen within the life of the early church. I always find it interesting when people say to me, man, I just wish we could go back to the days of the early church. And you realize that they had problems too. Like they had issues that were going on. And this was one of those issues where the truth of what the gospel is was being questioned. That there were those who were coming along and teaching what was not true. And I'm encouraged that the leaders within the church in Jerusalem stand up and say, this is not true. It's important because shepherds are called to protect the sheep. Now, you may not know this or not, but there is a lot of bad teaching that's being portrayed in our country and in the world that is from the Bible. There are false teachers constantly teaching things that are not true. There are pastors standing up week in and week out who are not tethered to the Scriptures, who are teaching things that are not right. And it's encouraging to me that these early shepherds, these early leaders within the church said, no, we are not going to stand for false teaching to continue to flourish. Now, here's the problem. We live in a society and in a culture, and Paul warned of this, where in the last days, people would rather have their ears tickled. That means, tell me things good about me instead of telling things that are true about us. And that's what happens when leaders stand up and teach something that is not tethered to the Scriptures. Teach something that is not from God's Word. Lead people astray. And we have to be on guard with that. 
For me as a pastor and for your pastors here, we have to be on guard with that. We have to be on guard with the types of songs that we sing. We have to be on guard with the type of messages that are delivered. We have to make sure that we are remaining tethered to the Scriptures. And where there is false doctrine that arises, where there is false teaching that comes up, we have to be courageous enough to stand up and say, no, that is not true. That is not what the Scriptures teach, which for every single one of us puts us in a position where God has called us to search the Scriptures for ourselves so that we know what is there. So I just want to issue this challenge to you. Don't just come in on Sunday morning and assume that I'm right. Come in on Sunday morning and listen to the Scriptures being read. Listen to what I say and go home and search the Scriptures for yourself and ask the question, does my pastor teach what's true? Because let me just say this to you. If you come and I don't teach the truth, you have my full blessing to go somewhere else where you're going to get the truth. Now here's the good news, I hope, is that when you come in... I'm going to stay tethered to the Scriptures, and I'm going to preach what's in the book. And if you don't like it, your problem is probably not with me, it's with the Lord, right? But here we see that the leaders stand up, that they are not willing to allow this false teaching to continue. I want you to notice, secondly, too, this question, why does clarity about the gospel bring joy? So what happens is when these leaders step into the church where these Gentiles are and they share that they don't have to do anything with the exception, they don't need to do anything outside of trusting in Jesus as their Savior. It brings joy to these believers. They rejoice in hearing that. And here's the reason that they rejoice. The gospel at its essence is good news. The message of the gospel, what Christ has done for us is good news. The fact that we were born to have a relationship with our Creator, but sin separates us from that so that we can't do anything in and of ourselves to save ourselves from our sins. We can't be good enough. We can't live a righteous enough life. It doesn't matter where we were born, who our parents are, how nice they were, how much of a believer they were in following Jesus. That doesn't matter. For us personally, what matters is that we trust Jesus Christ. What he accomplished for us on the cross, his death and his resurrection secures salvation for us. And church, that is good news. Turn on the TV and you'll hear bad news. Every single second of every single 24-hour news cycle, you will not find, with the rare exception, a positive story. I want you to notice when you go to the Scriptures, that is not what you find. What you find in the Scriptures is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what God did on our behalf. And so when these believers hear that, they are encouraged. So for you and for I, in a season where all the news we hear is bad news, just cut it off. 
And spend some time in God's Word and be encouraged with what His Word tells us. Here's the third thing as we think about this conflict that happens in verse 36 through verse 41. Here's a question, is conflict in the church okay? And how do we deal with it? That gets a little sticky, right? Is conflict in the church okay? And how do we deal with it? I want you to think about it this way. Conflict should be expected, but it should not be explosive. Conflict within the church should be expected. Just think about that for a second. We, as the body of Christ at North River Church and all other Christ-following groups of people are seeking to make an impact in a culture for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's what we're seeking to accomplish. Why would we ever think that Satan is just going to sit around and say, I'm not worried about them? Satan's going to do everything that he can to distract, to discourage, to bring conflict in the midst of our church, of this group of believers, to distract us from doing what God has called us to do. And so when we think about that, we should just expect there to be conflict. That doesn't mean that there's a lack of unity, but there's going to be issues. Now, here's the thing. Those issues shouldn't be about things that don't matter. Those issues shouldn't be about preferences. What's funny is none of y'all have a clue, with the exception of Scott Johnson and a couple of people in here, what color the carpet's going to be in the new building. You don't know what color the chairs are going to be. You don't know what color the walls are going to be. And here's the thing. It really doesn't matter. I mean, we're in a building right now where we have squares that are red on the floor, right? But we can gather each week and worship and enjoy spending time in God's Word together. But here's where the issue comes in. When conflict becomes explosive. When conflict does something to disrupt what God has called us to do. And so how do we deal with conflict? We address conflict purposefully. You know, in this problem that was going on between Paul and Barnabas surrounding John Mark, you know what's interesting to me is that in the midst of this, they did not create a bigger issue than what existed. But they dealt with it purposefully. In fact, they looked and they said, We're not going to come to terms with this together, so let's part ways. Barnabas, you go ahead and you grab John Mark. I'm going to grab Silas, and we're going to do what God has called us to do. So they dealt with that issue purposefully. I want you to notice it didn't get personal. It didn't get personal in the sense that they were attacking one another. It didn't get personal in the sense that in the church they said, we need to hold a business meeting. We need to hash this out in front of everybody so that we can figure out who's right or who's wrong. That's not what happened. In fact, they looked at this issue and they said, there's a mission that's greater that must be accomplished. And even if we disagree about that, we can still lock arms and accomplish the mission. Here's the thing. I served under a pastor that had been at the church for about 25 years, the first ministry position. And When he got ready to retire, had a chance just to ask a question of him. How did you stay here for 25 years? 
And he said, Michael, here's the thing. Everybody at this church at some point in time has made me mad. And he said, and I've made every single person at this church at some point in the last 25 years mad. But we figured out that we had a greater mission to accomplish than being mad at each other. The truth for us is when conflict does arise, we look at the greater mission. We are purposeful in how we deal with it, and we don't let it distract us from doing what God has called us to do. Amazingly, at this point, as Paul and Barnabas part ways, the mission doubles as it goes out, even in the midst of conflict. Even in the midst of this problem, the mission of God is accomplished. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. As we reflect on the text this morning and as we sing here, closing out our service, maybe you're here this morning and you have heard today the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've heard it over and over and over again, but this is the first time that it's really sunk in. And you see that there's joy in the good news of what Christ has done for you. And this morning, you need to take the step of trusting Him to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, to bring you into relationship with your Heavenly Father. And you can Take that step today. Maybe for you this morning, even as a believer, the truth of what Christ has done for you, it used to bring joy in your life, but for some reason, as of late, it's not what it used to be. And I want to encourage you this morning to pause and to just reflect on all that Christ has done on your behalf. Allow this moment to bring a sense of wonder and joy back into your soul. Reflect on the fact that though you are a sinner, Christ died for you. Though you are separated from God, He took the initiative of bringing you back into relationship with Him. And there's no greater joy than that. And lastly this morning, maybe you're experiencing conflict. Maybe it's conflict in your marriage. Maybe it's conflict with another believer. And it's distracted you from doing what God's called you to do, from fulfilling the mission that He's given you to fulfill. And I want to encourage you, deal with that conflict purposefully. Don't let it get personal. Don't let it get explosive. Allow the Lord to work in and through you in such a way that even if you may disagree, you can love one another and still work together to accomplish the mission that God's called us to accomplish. Father, use this time as we sing to work in our hearts. We ask that in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand and you sing?